My name is Jeremy DeVore. I'm one of the pastors here at Rooftop. And before we get into this morning's sermon, we're going down the Sermon on the Mount. And I'm sure all of you just like go home and you read it before you come, like all week, you just prepare and get ready. Um, but if you haven't, this morning's uh, we talk about some topics that have to do with lust, uh, adultery. Um, so there's some sensitive topics here. So if you parents, you've got kids in the room with you. Uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray for a little bit. And as I pray, if you're sitting there thinking, you know, maybe my little ones are not ready for this topic and you want to stink on out and take them to rooftops or go sit in the lobby and watch, you're more than welcome to do that. Uh, in that spirit, let me pray for us. Lord, we come to your word now. And Lord, I don't think it's hyperbole to say that in some ways, as we stand here on the, on the edge of potential healing, Lord, as we talk about uh, sexuality and sex and brokenness and things like that, Lord, we do. As your word goes forth, healing goes forth. So in some ways, we do stand on the cusp of healing. We do stand on the cusp of entering the promised land. And Lord, as we talk about these things, we know that there are many giants. We know that there are many things that might make us afraid, might make us scared, like shame, maybe unforgiven things in our past that still haunt us to this day. Lord, I pray that as we talk about these things, that your peace would settle over this place, that people would not be cast down, but that their eyes would be cast up towards you and your grace and your healing that is provided. Lord, help us do that this morning. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we ask it. And everyone said, amen. If you uh, have been following along in our sermon series, Religion Redefined, uh, you know that last time I preached, um, I talked about how the words of Jesus, this poor itinerant speaker way up in the northwest part of Jerusalem's or Palestine, ancient Palestine, his words were so impactful that they found their way into the mouths of uh, Ronald Reagan, one of the presidents of the United States of America. And in his farewell address, he talked about a city on a hill using Jesus' same words. And this morning, I'm going to talk about, surprise, surprise, I'm going to see how long I can keep this thing going, another American president who finds himself quoting the words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. Some of you might remember President Jimmy Carter, go Braves. He took his faith very seriously and to this day still teaches a Sunday school class in Georgia. He did an interview once and he was asked about his faith. And I think the question being asked shows what people think about the Christian faith. He was asked, will being a Christian make you judgmental and rigid as a president? And the response he gave was this. He said many things, but one part in particular has to do with our topic this morning. He, he says, Christ said, I tell you that anyone who looks on a woman with lust as in his heart already committed adultery. I've looked on a lot of women with lust. I've committed adultery in my heart many times. This is something that God recognizes. I will do and I have done and God forgives me for it. But that doesn't mean that I am to condemn someone who not only looks, but who leaves his wife for another woman. Christ says, don't consider yourself better than that person. Don't be proud based on your relative degree of sinfulness. Now, what is uh, surprising and what actually caused some backlash when Jimmy Carter gave this was that he gave this during an interview for Playboy magazine. And it kind of shows a little ironic. This is, I mean, judgment. This is the words of Jesus. Like, it's just incredible. But also he caught a lot of flack. And if you can actually look at the debate where they address this, and it kind of shows how far politics have fallen in this nation. I mean, he is getting so much flack. They are just like, 
One guy says, I'm amazed by how low this campaign has sunk. Um, nowadays, we would not say that, unfortunately. But regardless of how you feel about Jimmy Carter or his politics or whether he should or shouldn't have given that interview to that magazine, one thing we can commend him for is that his bravery to talk about his own failings, his own adultery of the heart to the entire nation, to stand up and confess, I have done this. We can commend him on that, and I wonder if this morning those of us who are here would be brave enough to do something similar. Are you this morning brave enough to confess areas of your life that are broken and twisted and need God's healing? Let's take a look at Jesus' words and ask that he would give us that grace this morning. Matthew chapter 5, verse 27 says this, You've heard it, that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. What is Jesus getting at as he addressed that crowd in the Sermon on the Mount? What's he mean when he says, you've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery, but I tell you, if anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. I think in a lot of ways, some people miss it. Is Jesus trying to say, well, you know, all sin is the same, whether you do it or you don't, you just think about doing it. It's kind of all the same um, in the way that only Christian theologians can say yes and no. <laughs> yes, all sin is sin. All sin is brokenness. All sin separates us. All sin shatters the peace and harmony God has for this world. But what I don't think Jesus is trying to communicate is this, well, it's just the same as doing this. We know this makes sense, right? Um, if you're married, would you rather your spouse come home and say, you know, I've been struggling with adultery in my heart towards this person. That would be hard to hear and awful. Or would you rather them say, hey, I've committed adultery with this person? Well, of course, right? I, I would rather you spit in my face than punch me in the face. There are varying degrees, but what Jesus is trying to do is not to get us focused on this moral bean counting where we go, well, it's just the same as that, and well, is it this, or you've done this many times, and well, I've looked at this person, so I've done it 50,000 times. This is really what Jesus is trying to get at in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7, verse 1 and 2. Don't, do not judge, or you will be judged, for in the same way others you oh, sorry for in the same way you judge others you will be judged and with the measure you use it will be measured back to you jesus is saying if we get stuck in this level of kind of moral bean counting as i said of well i committed adultery with this person in my heart that's just as bad as if i actually did it and if we get stuck in that loop we focus more on the condemnation of those around us well, this person's worse because they've done this, or this person's worse because they've done that. We get stuck instead of focusing on what's important, the gracious restoration of sinners, the healing that Jesus provides. 
And we end up so focused on others' condemnation and all things that that it ends up being our own condemnation. What I think what Jesus is getting at in this passage is a lot of what Matt said last week and the week before that. That it's not about doing the bare minimum to fulfill the law. Jesus is saying, do you think you fulfilled the demands just because you haven't had sex with someone else's husband or wife? Great, don't do that. But do you not do that because you're pure in heart, as I just talked about in the Beatitudes, or is it because you just haven't, you just haven't had a chance yet? If you desire to break the, break the commandment of adultery, guess what? You need redemption just as much as the people who go out and do the act. Jesus knew the hearts of men and women. He knew, as Matt talked about last week and what we're going to talk about again this week, the intensity of the law. And what he does to highlight that, he draws attention to lust, adultery, sexuality, things in our hearts. And to show the intensity of the law and just how broken we are as people, in verse 28 he says, but I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. The key word there is lustfully. Jesus is not condoning sexual attraction. That's part of what it means to be a human being. We're called to recognize truth, beauty, and goodness in God's creation. We're called to be fruitful and multiply. That's part of what it means to be a human being. The problem is, though, is that those desires are part of, are embedded in our fallen nature. We're fallen, broken people. And there's a world system that exists to take that desire and twist it and break it and shatter it and turn it into a very ugly and broken thing. That word he says right there, look at a woman lustfully. Now in Jesus' time, when they read the Bible, uh, they read most likely the Greek Old Testament. Most people spoke Greek day to day. So what they did was they took the Old Testament and they translated it into Greek. They took the Hebrew and they translated it into Greek. And that Greek word right there for lustfully is the same word that they translated the 10th commandment, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. Jesus is talking about adultery, talking about coveting, lust. All these things are kind of hard to define. We don't talk about them a lot, but what they deal with is self-indulgence. It takes that desire that's good and healthy and in its proper place, incredible, and it twists it. The law shows just how twisted and broken those desires have become because they have to do with self-indulgence. It's about taking what's not given to you, right? When you, when you marry someone, you make promises to that person. You make a lot of promises to that person. In sickness or in health, for better or for worse, and richer and poorer, all of those things give shape 
and provide safety for those desires that we have. But when we choose to instead gratify ourselves, when we covet, when we want to take what's promised to someone else or what we want to do to someone that we haven't promised anything to, it shatters, it breaks, it causes sin. Think about it. No one's looking at pornography to learn how to be a better husband or wife. You're not looking at that man or woman in your office imagining, oh man, wouldn't it be great if one of the kids broke the curfew when he came home, me and that other person got to sit down and talk about what it means to parent in that moment and how to, wouldn't it be great to take a 30-year mortgage out with this person and, and fix up the house on the weekends when we're both tired? You're not thinking about any of that. You're thinking about how to make your life better, how to gratify yourself. And Jesus is showing them just how broken humanity is, just how intense the law is. Jeff Malzahn rephrases it this way. He's an uh, ethics professor. He says this, self-righteous people think they fulfill the commandments because they haven't committed adultery. But don't forget the commandments end with a reminder that coveting is also a sin. You feel justified to gossip about that other person who had an affair, but in reality, you desire the same thing. You flirt with that person at work. You fantasize about gratifying yourself with that person in your class. You organize your day around bumping into your neighbor's spouse at the community pool. Guess what? Your heart is sick. Guess what? You need redemption. So Jesus is not trying to get into the, is thinking about adultery just as bad as committing it? He's going below that to saying just those desires to, to want to self-gratify yourself and break the commandment, bing, those warning lights should come on that you need, still need healing. You still need help. And Jesus knows how that broken desire and those broken things end up breaking other people and breaking you that experience them and breaking communities. That's why here at the end of the sermon, he gives a call to action. Verse 29, if your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body go into hell. Now, even the most hardcore, literal fundamentalists around us will agree Jesus is speaking in hyperbolic language. I mean, everybody here still got two hands. I mean, everybody here still got two eyes. What's he saying? He's saying that that road, the road marked with lust, the road that might end in adultery, th those broken parts of you, you got to take drastic action. you got to ensure that you don't go down that path because that path ends in hell. Now, he mentions hell here, but hell can look like a lot of different things. Pornography, affairs, 
Sometimes those things end in physical death. Men and women who are caught in sex trafficking oftentimes die. Sex trafficking is fueled by pornography. It's fueled by this lust we have to gratify ourselves. Those things end in death. Families are shattered because of an affair. The intimacy that a husband and wife once shared can die, can become a hell when the fantasy lives that we indulge in in our minds overtake the reality of what's in front of us. Jobs have been lost to porn addictions. So while Jesus, as I said, isn't calling us to self-mutilation, he's calling us to some radical measures in dealing with this problem. And this morning I want to share three of them. I want to give a little caveat here. Um, They are confession, community, and commitment. Now before we, we dive into that, If you've been a Christian for more than five months, you've probably heard a sermon sermon similar to this. You probably read these words of Jesus. If you grew up in youth group, you're probably scarred by these, uh, these scriptures. But I want to challenge you with something this morning. Perhaps, as I've talked about lust and adultery and the heart, and maybe something's gone off in your brain, I want to challenge you with something here. Jesus is calling you to radical action. Before I even get into these, here's what I want you to be thinking in your head. Whichever one of these seems like the most radical to you is probably the one that you need to take. If you look at these and go, well, that one's probably not that bad. That one seems really tough. Then, you know, I don't want to speak for the Holy Spirit, but uh, I would say maybe that's the one he's talking to you about. Let's talk about confession. The first place, oftentimes the first place to start when dealing with a broken heart that seeks to just devour people sexually is to confess it, to confess that brokenness. There's a church I was a part of at one point. They, they called it walking in the light. And this was a reference to 1 John 5, 6, and 7. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Spoiler alert, that's community. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Confession is an incredible grace that God has given us to deal with sin. It's a gift. Now, if you grew up in the Catholic Church, I'm not necessarily talking about the same thing, but confessing your sins to one another is an incredible means of grace, incredible gift to overcome sin. Hey, but it's scary. It's not easy. To drag something ugly out into the light, that, that takes a lot of courage and bravery. You might think, if I do that right now at rooftop, what are they going to think of me? What are my pastors going to think of me? Gosh, what is my spouse going to think of me? What, what are the people going to think of me? I'll tell you what I will think of you if you come and confess this to me. I will look at you in the face and I will say, welcome to the club. I will say, you are a fallen, broken human being. And what you desire is life and connection with other people. And I'm so sorry. I like, hopefully with tears in my eyes, I'm so sorry that somewhere along the way, that desire got so twisted 
Maybe by choices you made or maybe by choices someone made for you that you didn't get to choose. Those desires have become so twisted and broken and they're just operating in a wrong and hurtful and harmful way. Maybe that might not be my struggle, but I have those desires too for life and connection and I have ways that I seek to go find them in brokenness. So that's what I'll say. I'll say, welcome to the club. And perhaps you've tried it before, right? Perhaps you've tried it. Maybe you confessed. Maybe you, you brought it to the light and you shared it with someone. And sometimes church people do awful things. And I'm sorry if that burned you. But there is a promise here. James 5.16 says it this way. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for each other so that you may be healed. So I offer this to you. Uh, you, you people, you people, you pay Matt and I money to care for your souls. That's what being a pastor is. It's caring for people's souls. If your soul is hurt, harmed, in jeopardy, broken, newsflash, it is, we, you pay us to take care of you. Matt and I would love to sit with you and talk about, okay, this is what's going on. What are the paths of healing Jesus might provide for you? We are not perfect. We are not above this. We are not uh, these sort of demigods who kind of hover around just above you, out of reach. We are human beings in the trenches with you, but we've been doing this a long time. And there's probably nothing you are going to say that's going to surprise us. But we would love nothing more than to sit with you in that. But confession, as I said, necessitates the second thing, community. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, when a man is alone in his sin, he is terribly alone. Some of us, some men and women, live their whole lives in isolation while outwardly role-playing relationships. Oh, look, I love my wife. Oh, look, uh, I'm a good church person. Oh, look, I got all together. Jesus is great. I got no issues. Everything's perfect. But on the inside, we're so alone. We feel so scared. We're so afraid if someone finds out. And then the, everything else is just kind of role-playing. But community, confession, we have to be brave enough to confess. And then here's another thing, people. We need to be the kind of people who can receive a confession. We need to be the kind of person that can have time in our schedule to sit down with people and look at them in the face and be able to hear what's going on in their life. We're not meant to do life alone, okay? It's impossible. Community, in terms of this area, is not optional for you. It is the Christian life. <laughs> Ecclesiastes 4 says it like this. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either falls down, one can help the other up. And here we go. Pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. I'm not going to read the rest of this. I'm just going to ask. If you fall down in this area, 
Who's there to pick you up? Your pastors, we will gladly, lovingly, you pay us to do it. You wouldn't have to pay us to do it. That's how much we would gladly pick you up in this area. But do you have other friends, other community who will pick you up in this area? You need someone. You need people. All right, I'll read the rest of the scripture. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. You need men and women, brothers and sisters, who can stand back to back with you in this area. Now, let me give you two ways you can do this today, or you can do this next week. Groups. Here at Rooftop, we have community groups. Groups are about to launch back up here after Labor Day. This is a place where you can find brothers and sisters, where you can find people who will walk with you in the midst of life. And it won't just take you on as, oh, well, that's Bob or Susan, and they, they need a ton of help. Like, you know, we just got to pick them up all the time. You need to be there to help pull them up sometimes. Groups is a good place to do that. But maybe the brokenness is really broken. Like, like maybe it's really out of control or maybe you're afraid. I, I'm still a little unsure about talking with people about it. What do I do? There's a ministry in St. Louis called First Light. First Light offers stability, connection, and hope in a sexualized world. Now, they have groups for men. They have groups for women. They have groups for spouses who are kind of trying to help their spouse navigate this area. They have groups for families who are trying to navigate this area. It's a great ministry. People among you at this church utilize it. Brave people at this church who want healing and are brave enough to take these steps, they utilize it. We're going to start financially supporting them as a church and looking to partner with them in the future in some really awesome ways. Confession, you need community. But sometimes what you need is commitment. We live in a world where things like pornography and uh, lust, I mean, those things, not only are they inside of us trying to get out, but they're also outside of us trying to get in. It's for me in my journey, it took a moment where it just took, all right, I, I got to stop. I got to commit to getting better in this area. And it wasn't just a one-time thing. Well, okay, I'll. It's everywhere, right? Even as I'm preparing this sermon, you know, you're, you're trying to find an image of Jimmy Carter. You're, you're, you find this, Jimmy Carter gave this interview in Playboy. I didn't know it was in Playboy. I click on it, it goes to it. And like, thank God, it's just the, the uh, transcript of it. But you're like, oh my God, next thing you know, you're, you're two clicks away, right? It's, it's always right there. It's going to take commitment. And two areas of commitment that helped me, I, I mean, gosh, 20, 15 years ago that have kind of stuck with me ever since. Two areas of commitment that I just had to commit myself. Here are some realities. There are many people at this church that have suffered things like sexual assault, because of unchecked lust 
because of things like pornography. There are people who experience that lust, pornography, run amok. They sit among us. Brave men and women who sit among us. The Bible calls them our brothers and sisters. And if that kind of unchecked has caused that much pain to brothers and sisters around me, then the least I could do is out of respect for their pain and their brokenness, keep myself in check. When you feel the, the urge and the temptation, you think about that, that, that's a pretty strong buffer. Another thing, the realities of pornography. Now, I say this not to shame anyone, but there are gross, ugly realities that I have found, if you read about, are informed into, can talk about, will help you make the kind of radical commitment that you need to make to not even put yourself in an area where you may stumble. I'm going to give you three resources that you can look at in your own time. I don't have time to go into all of them. Traffickinghub.com. I spaced these out so that you could read them because when they all run together, sometimes they're hard to read. But if you don't know how to use the Internet, I'll help you after this. But those are the websites. Traffickinghub.com, fightthenewdrug.org, and the Children of Pornhub is a New York Times article about sex trafficking and pornography. Things like pornography fuel sex trafficking. You might sit there and think, well, I'm not taking part of that. I'm not, you know, kidnapping refugees or people from war or, you know, homeless men and women or people who's aged out of foster systems. I'm not doing that. But when you engage in those things and you look at that, it creates an environment. It fuels demand for these things. It dehumanizes people. And we as Christians, we can't, we can't let that get into our brains. We can't let that get into our hearts. Particularly men with women. I'm going to talk to us here for a second. Running low here. I'm going to just know with some. Uh, historically, pornography and men and sexual abuse and violence, those kind of things, it's predominantly been a men thing here. If you look at the history of the world, Women have not been treated as equals a lot. It's a pretty bad history. We can't give ourselves to things that further make them objects. We can't support people who talk about these things like they're just no big deal, ha, 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 funny. Like It has to stop with us. And it stops with us when we do what? <laughs> the words of Jesus. Treat others the way we want to be treated even in our private thought life. Treat others the way we want to be treated, even in our hearts. Now, how do you end a sermon like this? Um, the band's going to make their way up. Here's how you end it. You end it with grace. I talked about in my prayer this morning that some of us may be on the the coast, maybe on the edge of finding healing in this area. Is that healing going to come through 
grit and determination, there will be some of that. You got to make commitments. You got to get in community. Yes, it's going to take some of that. But you know what fuels all these things? God's grace towards sinners like me. I don't know this morning at, on what end of the scale that you're on, whether adultery and lust and covenanting is something that's just in your heart or you're, you're looking at pornography or you're, you, there's this person that maybe you've taken a few steps down the road and you, you're thinking about it a lot or maybe you've suffered brokenness because of it. Maybe you've gone all the way with it and it's wrecked and destroyed your life and even as I talk about it, you feel shame. The beautiful part of Jesus and the gospel is that he offers grace to all those people. He offers healing and hope but we have to respond. We have to take that step. 